0: Welcome to We Are Meaningful, a podcast where we transform the anonymous experiences of Black and brown talent into powerful audio narratives. Each month, we center the dialogue around a common theme, providing you, our listeners, with the tools and resources you need to help navigate, grow, and thrive in corporate spaces. Our stories, experiences, and our voices are meaningful. We. Are meaningful.
1: Hi everyone, this is Crystal. And this is Krista. Today we're joined by Madison Butler. Madison is the VP of People and Culture at Source Craft Cocktails and COO Principal Facilitator for Make Space Plus, a Pine organization. Her work is focused around talent, people development, and onboarding. She's an outspoken advocate for diversity, belonging, and the ability to be human at work. Madison is a startup enthusiast and is passionate about building inclusive teams from the ground up with early stage companies. She's committed to helping change the narrative around what it looks like to be human at work and hoping to alleviate unconscious bias in corporate America. She's also a native Rhode Islander, but moved to Austin in 2017. And in her free time, she enjoys traveling, watching hockey, and playing with her rescue pups. Welcome, Madison.
0: Hi, how are you? Good. It's so good to have the opportunity to talk to you, especially because we are loyal Madison followers on LinkedIn and everywhere else that you exist.
2: Well, right back at you. So I'm super (laughs) excited.
0: So before we jump into the interview and talking about the narrative, we figured we would have uh, everyone listen to the the narrative before we jump into those questions. So let's roll the narrative.
1: Hi. So what ultimately led you to look for and accept employment elsewhere? As you know, over the last several months, we've had a difference of opinion about the expected outcomes of my role. I am a data-driven organizational architect who expertly leverages inclusive process design to create spaces where underrepresented talent can grow and thrive instead of leveraging my skills you'd prefer that i plan heritage month celebrations for your social feeds you want a performance and i can no longer oblige beyond that the combination and culmination of microaggressions gaslighting false accusations, unspoken rules, exclusionary practices, and hypocritical behaviors. Gulp. But you said ultimately. Amy, last week you compared conferences for black tech professionals to neo-Nazism. Um. Okay, so this is all on the record and I could get fired for something like this. I mean, Come on, my husband is black and I have black kids. I'm obviously not racist and I apologize for it and it really wasn't my intention to offend you. So I don't see why this has to be part of your exit interview. While you didn't intend to be racist, you were and are. I can't justify that comment, mindset or behavior especially when it isn't the first time. So ultimately, Amy, your racism is what brought us here today. Okay. Well, did you feel that you were equipped to do your job well at least? My work was always treated as priority number 5,788,332,120. I never had the power to make decisions, and there was never a desire to truly integrate inclusion into the DNA of our culture, practices, and decision-making. Then the work transformed into something for multiple roles, but the team didn't grow, just my workload. For a company so concerned with the bottom line, you run this team like a lemonade stand. It's unrealistic. Well then, any other comments, questions, concerns? Uh, yeah, it's quite performative here. Always ready with a seemingly heartfelt soundbite, but never willing to actually act. What happened behind the curtain never truly changed, but we put on quite a show in front of it. Employee resource groups, progressive public statements, pics of our black employees on the cover page, You never intended to move the needle though. While I'm gracious for the opportunity I earned here, it's taught me many lessons. One of the most important, y'all ain't worth it. I am.
0: So, Madison, after hearing the narrative, what were your initial thoughts and reactions?
2: It sounded like I had to be at an Austin startup. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, it it definitely, you know, being someone who lives in the startup startup ecosystem, um, it definitely gave me big startup vibes. And a lot of that is because so much of what happens in startups is performative to impress your board, impress your investors. Impress um, a bunch of people who don't actually live your life day to day and within your organization um, So definitely a conversation that was all too familiar to conversations that I have had here
0: Yeah, what's so interesting and I'm not afraid to say it um, This story is a story that I had from an employer that I've had in the past and as I was sharing exactly what went on uh, with that employer. I felt so re-traumatized from the first time that it happened. It almost felt like it was happening again because I was reliving it. I would say it's probably one of the worst experiences I've probably ever had when it comes to this work, um, inclusion and diversity work, and being more performative rather than considering How are we changing the way that we do business, the way that we do culture? How are we really ensuring that this is a equitable place for everyone?
2: For sure. And I think that's like something we don't actually talk about enough is how that is actually trauma and how it will come back up for us at later dates and meetings in our regular life. I've had some experiences at work that just, They may have seemed minor to anyone else, but I constantly find myself thinking about them when I'm saying things in meetings. And even though I know it will never be a scenario that I run into in my current organization, I can't help but think about it. And so it's like the trauma of it doesn't ever go away because it's just, it's the life we live, you know, being black and in corporate America. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, and it's really interesting because I remember when I first met Crystal, I had trauma that I didn't classify as trauma. Right? Because I think a lot of the times, to your point, Madison, we don't talk about it in a way where it's like psychological safety, psychological health. I don't think that we understand the power that it has to be toxic and to really have a hold on us for more than like years, even. So, for sure. Like Crystal mentioned, we follow you actively on LinkedIn. (laughs) You're definitely one of the people that I go to first every time I pop into LinkedIn because I love hearing what you have to say. It's so open, it's so authentic, it's raw, it's listen, this is the truth, deal with it, the tea. Um, so can you tell us about your journey to active advocacy for inclusion and diversity? Was it like a switch or something that evolved over time? And you know, with how raw and authentic you are, what role does fear of retaliation play in your advocacy, if any?
2: For sure, and so I think it's actually a really... It's an event, but an event that took me my whole life to figure out. Um, I am biracial. My mom is white. I grew up in super white bread America, went to boarding school, which is super white, went to business school, which is super white. Um, And so when you grow up and everyone around you who is powerful and successful is white, you do a lot to try and fit in to make sure people like you because your vision of success is also white. Mm -hmm. Um, So in my early 20s, I dated someone who wasn't right for me as I'm sure we all have done um but not right for me in the way of like immense immense trauma um from psychological Mm -hmm. abuse to physical abuse to our breakup making buzzfeed like there were just a lot of (laughs) a lot of different things that were all just kind of creating lasting trauma for me and a lot of his abuse centered around the fact that I was black which everyone now always asks me like well why did you date him and you know part of being in an abusive relationship is you don't actually realize you're in it until you're in it. Mm -hmm. And the thing about abusers is they use the things about you that you can't change. And at the end of the day, I cannot change the fact that I'm black. There is nothing I can do that will make me not black. And so everything he did really centered around the fact that I was black. And so I came out of the relationship extremely fatigued and super confused um, but I made this decision that, oh my God, I'm not going to change who I am for any relationship ever again. Um, Cause I did do a lot of things that aren't, you know, things I enjoy like being a stepmom and being a housewife and essentially like being a Stepford wife and like refusing to dye my hair and just random things that I would never do. And so I moved to Austin a couple years later and I applied for a job and they were like, oh my God, we love you so much, la, 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 la. We want to hire you. And then there was this big fat butt. And they were like, but we need you to change your hair, cover your tattoos, wear a
0: skirt, wear heels. And I was like, ooh. Oh, wait a minute.
2: <laughs> yeah. Ooh, I wear stocks like every single day. Um, and that was like the first time that I had this epiphany of like, if I'm going to tell myself that I'm going to show up in my relationships and set those boundaries, why wouldn't I be doing those same things for myself at work? Because work mm-hmm. is just another relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's when I coined the blue haired recruiters. So people would stop messaging me if they weren't down with my hair. Um, and then I realized, like, I started talking about it and how many other people felt like me, but also looked like me. People who felt like they had to relax their hair to be professional at work. People who felt like they had to turn on their phone voice from nine to five just to be professional. And so I promised myself, one, that I was never going to be that person again. And regardless of retaliation and how people felt about it, I was always going to be a voice for people who didn't have the ability to have one. Chill
1: Chills, chills, yeah, chills, chills. Total, total chills. I'm sorry. It's that part of the episode where I have another question um, <laughs> that we didn't plan. Um, I need like my own little music to intro it. <laughs> so you said um, when those who can't have a voice, what do you mean by that?
2: So I recognize that I have a lot of privilege to be able to be as loud as I am about issues. hmm because I've just, I've built this brand for myself where people very much expect that of me. I go into companies and they know that's what they're being handed. Not everyone has that privilege. Not everyone can talk about what it's like to be black at work without fearing getting fired. You know, we're still living in a world where it's much scarier to say, hey, my boss is a racist versus like your boss being scared to be a racist. And I have a huge problem with that. But, because I have the ability to be loud about that, I want to make sure that I'm talking about the things that people feel like they can't talk about. Even if they can just read it and know that someone else feels the same way they do and other people are going through it, I want to be able to be that voice. I think it is really affirming to read and connect with people who are going through similar situations. I know even having lived through an abusive relationship, you can't talk about it, but I read all the things I could online just to know that I wasn't alone in that situation.
0: Yes, still chills, still chills. A lot of it that you said, I really resonated with because even, even with being Black and not being able to talk about that in the workplace, for most people, I know that if you talked to me two years ago, I wouldn't have done this podcast. We would not be having this conversation. Being Black was something that I just wanted to lock away because it just made it easier for me to exist and navigate workspaces. So you
2: want to hear the craziest thing? Yeah. Um, So I just did the Lesbian Sue Tech Summit. And in the middle of my talk, I had this like realization that I was so much more comfortable coming out as queer than I was showing up as Black. Mm Mm-hmm. And that wow. is just like so mind blowing to me because I've also known I was black my whole life and I've, I've known I was queer for most of my life as well. But it was so much easier to be like, oh, yes, I like women than to be like, oh, I'm not going to straighten my hair for you.
0: <laughs> yes, that's so true. I, I would totally I can totally resonate with you on that. It's just really hard because, as you know, we've had these conversations or people continue to have these conversations. When we say black lives matter, they say all lives matter. We say this is happening. They say, well, what about the crime in Chicago? Or what Mm -hmm. about black on black crime? Or what about this? Or don't the police kill as many white people as they do black people? It's almost like at every turn, people are trying to talk you down from how you feel or not how you feel, but how you experience the world as a black person. So it was just so much easier, as you mentioned, just to not talk about it, not bring it up, not think about it.
2: For sure, and I also, I think that the other thing, and it makes me really sad to realize that I was conditioned this way. It has nothing to do with my parents or anything, but more so just the way society portrays successful Black people. You then begin, you grow up thinking there's like a right way to be Black. Mm -hmm. And you, you then end up separating people between like, the right and the wrong. And there isn't a right or wrong way to be black, but society consistently tells us that that's how we're supposed to be. So you're always trying to fall into that left bucket, that right bucket, in order to make people happy. And so what you do is you just end up shrinking yourself so that people can, you know, tolerate you and take bite-sized pieces of you because acknowledging the fact that you're black is a lot for them. And I think, you know, with everything going on right now we've all probably had this realization that like ooh, that one friend who hasn't left our hometown doesn't actually like black people they just like me because they've made me the exception not the rule
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i think snap snap we -hmm. grow up trying to be
2: that exception to like make sure that people like us because belonging is such a key important part of like being well-adjusted, you don't want to admit, especially when you're 15, that your friends are racist. You'd rather be like, well, they like me, so that's fine. Ooh, deep. It's hard to unlearn that.
0: Yes, for sure. So speaking of that, speaking of unlearning, speaking of things being different, let's fast forward to where we are today. Not just for people like you and I who aren't afraid to speak our truth at this point, but organizations who have been radio silent forever about systemic racism, who are now showing their support for the Black Lives Matter movement and really taking time to intentionally understand the Black experience in corporate spaces and outside of corporate spaces. So when you see these messages from organizations, how do they make you feel as a Black woman? and corporate America?
1: Oh, God.
2: Uh, (laughs) So I think the worst one is seeing it from an organization that I worked at and knowing they actively treat their Black people terribly. So, like, I don't care how many coins you threw at, you know, a nonprofit. That's awesome. I'm glad that you did that. However, it's performative if everyone in your community that is Black feels unsafe every day. Mm
1: Mm-hmm
2: like if you're only doing it to look good on Instagram and you wanted to post a little black box because it got you a lot of likes and it got you more followers and therefore you probably got more conversion on your website. That makes me feel icky because now you've used black trauma as like a brand push and that's inherently gross. (laughs) And I think that's a lot of what we saw in the last couple of weeks. I know just like scrolling through my Instagram feed Companies who have never talked about any kind of civil discourse ever. It was just like black box, black box, black box, black lives matter, black lives matter, black lives matter. But like, would the black people at your company feel like they matter or do they now feel uncomfy because you've posted this, but you actively don't promote them, don't pay them well and generally treat them bad.
1: Listen. (laughs) Right. And I think it's also quite a leap that we've seen too right companies who've never said anything and now they're coming forward with really really eloquent statements about systemic racism racism sorry and their stance against hatred and it's very very i don't know it doesn't feel necessarily multifaceted it just feels like a soundbite so i guess getting at what you were saying and how it's sometimes performative although I do recognize some companies are actually doing the work and there's a lot of people behind the curtain who are pushing real true change. And that looks really different. But, um, to your point, Madison, I think there's a really big chunk of us who are also seeing statements from companies that we used to work at being like, this is bull.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's like, is
2: your brand that important that you want to get on the internet and lie? Because, like, let's be very, very, very clear no one, not a single company in Austin, not a single company in Silicon Valley, is above and away scandal. You need one person to talk about it. And that's mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And so, like, then all of that stuff that you posted isn't going to matter because now you look worse than you would have if you just never posted
0: at all. Yep, yeah, 100%. But people forget. <laughs> yeah. And people, I think people at this point, building even building up to this point, have started to be more vocal about their experiences in organizations. There's lots of platforms that have popped up for people of color to share what their experiences have been in these corporate spaces. And they are a lot more accepting of our experiences and, and they believe us <laughs> a lot more than a website like Glassdoor, for example. I think um, there have been times where I've tried to post stories on Glassdoor of my experience at a company and it's blocked. Wait, you wanna hear the wildest
2: Glassdoor story? So I worked at a company in Austin and they got a whole bunch of Glassdoor reviews while I was there. They were all really bad. Um, and so when I left, I, le- I wrote one as well. Um, and then all of a sudden every single bad Glassdoor review was gone and including mine and my account was blocked and I was like, this CEO literally went to Glassdoor and told them I wrote all of them.
0: (laughs) No, no (laughs) way. To clear
2: their name because almost every single review mentioned their name. Um, because that's what happens when you're not a good CEO. People people bring it up, and that's Glassdoor's rules. You can mention anyone in C suite, and so then like literally, literally every Glassdoor review I've ever written for any company, good or bad, salary or just a review, gone.
1: Wow, wow. <laughs> and yep. I'm assuming was this like for a startup, Madison? Oh, you know it, right? I'm like because n- no real CEO has the time. Like I I was at a I was at a startup too. <laughs> And our CEO would respond with these like really long-winded, defensive, super fragile responses to every poor review
2: this that they one got did. on Glassdoor. And it was like super gaslighting because they would say, yes. I'm sorry that this was your experience and this is how you felt. Exactly. Well, I'm sorry you, you, you had a bad experience here, but I'm sorry that's how you perceived your experience. Like mm. how can I perceive my experience differently than what my experience actually
1: was? That's exactly it. Absolutely. And then on top of it, it's like we're always working to be better. We appreciate this feedback, even though you just told me you didn't hear any of it. So shut up.
2: There, wait, there's would like
0: literally call people liars and be like, well, this didn't
2: happen.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Moral hey. of the story, if you are a black or brown person, mm-hmm. find a website that is targeted for you that will allow you to speak your truth and share your experience. For sure, and I mean, I think
2: that's the other thing that is uh, the crappy thing about being in the startup ecosystem is like, it is truly an ecosystem. And so this same CEO who shouldn't have had time to even like deal with me once I quit, scrolled through 576 weeks of my Instagram to find a meme that they thought was inappropriate to send out to different people that I work with in town. To see if they could, they could get me fired from different like things I work on.
0: Yikes!
1: <laughs> time, so,
0: yeah, that's time
1: fragility right there. You could stop being a startup if you. Who listen?
0: So I have really, and I I'm going to speak for Krista. In this case, I have really enjoyed this conversation with you, Madison, and I'm sure our listeners want to know where they can find you online, although many of them are probably already following you.
2: So my Insta and my Twitter is Madison Amelia B. I swear a lot on both of them, just an FYI. I'm slightly more tame on LinkedIn, which is uh, LinkedIn slash the blue haired recruiter or just Madison Butler. But if you type in Blue Rehab Recruiter, I'll come up. (laughs)
1: Perfect. Yeah. And if you're not following her, please do. Because Madison said it earlier, right? She looks to post so that she can be a voice for the things that some groups of people can't say. And I feel like that every time I read her posts. Every time I read her posts, I'm really grateful that somebody can say these things and that somebody does.
0: Yes. And I'm normally clapping, like, say that.
1: This. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And people come come to her comments with foolishness and she's like, excuse me. No, I don't think so. Not today. (laughs) Not today, Satan. I leave a snarky comment and exit the chat. That's
2: it. I don't engage. I, like, make you embarrassed one time and then I leave.
0: Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the We Are Meaningful podcast. Follow us on Instagram at wearemeaningful.co and visit our website to learn more about our community and how you can get involved. We're excited to hear your thoughts on today's episode.
1: Talk to you next week.